1: Somebody that was always living in my head. I love people, I love their stories, and um, I want to help people be their best selves. I realized I had a right to feel disappointed in myself, but I did not have the right to tell myself that I was no longer a good person.
0: Susan Peppercorn is an executive and career coach. Who has a passion for helping individuals thrive in their career? Having made four career changes herself, Susan knows what it's like to feel stuck in a job you hate, as well as the self shaming that goes along with it. Susan transformed her career, a scientifically validated approach to help others do the same that she practices in her work and teaches in her best selling book, Ditch Your Inner Critic at Work. In the book, Susan makes the most compelling case yet that career satisfaction and the full engagement that comes with it is more important than ever in today's workplace. Susan has been tapped for career advice by high-profile publications, such as the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Harvard Business Review, and US News and World Report. A certified positive psychology coach, Susan is a graduate of the Whole Being Institute. She's also a teaching assistant in the same program under Dr. Tal ben Shaher. She's been accredited by the International Coaching Federation, and she is a frequently requested speaker and an executive mentor for the healthcare, business, and US News and World Report. I'm pleased to share our interview with you today. I think many of us, myself included, are exploring a lot of these questions related to finding purpose in the workplace that are at the heart of Susan's research. In today's interview, Susan shared some wonderful ways in which we can get in better touch with ourselves to begin to shape the career we truly want. I appreciate the vulnerability she exhibited through her personal stories that have taken her from the midst of self-negativity and low self-worth to propel her to a career of purpose. Susan thrives because she truly wants to help others thrive. I can say from my recent experience that if you start to implement what she teaches here and take full advantage of the free resources she recommends, this episode alone is enough to take you leaps and bounds forward in how to integrate your personal purpose into your working career. I'm thankful to Susan for giving her time donating her expertise to us today. And as always, I'm thankful and humbled by all of you listening and putting the wisdom from guests like Susan into action in your own lives. I'm confident this wonderful cycle of education and growth will continue for you with this interview. So please enjoy this uplifting interview with the wonderfully positive and wise Susan Peppercorn. Hello, Susan. How are you?
1: I am well, Tanner. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Happy to have you on. Thank you. So I know that you do a lot of work around positive psychology and helping people to find purpose in their career. Um, I guess I just wanted to get it in your own words. What role does your executive and career coaching play in helping people come into a greater sense of their purpose in the workplace?
1: So my goal is really to help people find alignment between their values, their interests, their strengths and the work that they do and really to get them looking at their internal interests rather than focusing on external reward. So you know how in the work world, people focus so much on the money, the prestige, the title, and then they come to realize that um, that's not going to make them happy. My goal is really to help people find meaning in the work that they do and alignment with what's valuable to them.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So why does helping people to find this alignment to thrive in their careers? Why does that fulfill your individual purpose?
1: Well, for one reason, I was miserable in my career or for the bulk of my career and um, i didn't have anybody to help guide me i eventually figured it out because i'm very tenacious but i realized that there has to be a better way and i really wanted people to not have to go through the suffering that i went through and so that's why i devoted my coaching focused my coaching in this way because The more I do it, the more I the more I find that people really are searching for a level of meaning that seems to elude them, and um, this is a rather common problem. But it really stems from the own from the misery that I experienced being in a field that just had no interest to me. It paid me well, but um, that was about it. And I realized there had to be a better way.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So I do, I want to unpack a lot about how you do that and how you serve people and what some of those impacts are. But first I want to, I want to stay focused on you personally. Um, mm-hmm. do you have any stories that inform us of how you came into your purpose?
1: So I came into my purpose through a lengthy process and it, it came from being in the depths of misery. So I, for the bulk of my career, I was in high technology sales and marketing and It was never an industry that really, that I was all excited about, but it was one that I pursued because the industry was growing. I wanted and needed to make money, and so I entered it. But as time went on, I found myself feeling more and more drained, suffering from panic attacks on a regular basis, and just feeling basically hopeless. The thing that saved me is that my company was purchased. And when that happened, I had the opportunity to leave and I took a severance package. And when that happened, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I wanted to work. I needed to work. And the only thing that I knew at that time is I wanted to work closer to home because um, I had had a a lengthy commute prior. Eventually, through a few short career uh, transitions... I was asked to join a career center at a university in Boston to help students find jobs and position themselves to find jobs. And my job was really to recruit companies to come to the campus and interview students. But I started to work with students one-on-one to help them prepare for interviews. And um, I found that I really love doing that. I love the one-on-one interaction. I love helping students figure out what they wanted and that eventually led me to deciding to uh, develop my own coaching practice so my story was one of deep uh, hurt and misery and I think because how hopeless I felt and then because I had the opportunity to get out of it I'm not sure that I would have otherwise I was able to reinvent myself
0: that's awesome So I think that one intimidating aspect of of how you made those decisions is what made you feel like you were qualified to be a coach? Did you feel like you were fully a living aligned to your purpose and really happy and, and just a positive inspiration in all the ways? Or were you still doing a lot of deep work on yourself while you were still coaching others?
1: Well, I'm not sure that we ever know that we're completely ready. When I first started coaching, I realized that I was helping them. And I knew that because of the feedback that they gave me. Sometimes students share very personal things about conflicts that they had between what their families wanted them to do and what they themselves felt they wanted to do. And they would ask my advice about, you know, how to reconcile those differences. Sometimes it was really tactical things like I remember a time when a student did not get called back for an interview at a company where they really, really wanted to work and I asked them, I suggested to them that they go back to the company and ask why that was the case. They got some feedback about how they interviewed some of the things they did on the interview and I encouraged them to go back and ask for another chance and they did and they succeeded and they got hired. They were really, really happy. And I connected with that person about 10 years later. Actually, last year, we were reminiscing about that story and how meaningful that experience was to him. So I knew from the feedback that I was getting that I could help people. And I knew that I felt aligned with that work. I felt that it was meaningful to me. So that was enough to at least get me started and keep me going. And then eventually, I sought much more training which made me feel more confident in my abilities to help people so
0: when you started coaching what was your background in coaching did you did you have any certification of any sort or did you just say I'm ready to do this
1: well I did not and when I worked at a college career center I did this informally it wasn't really part of my job description But on those things where I was helping students, I knew enough. There were some things about how to look for a job, how to position yourself, how to brand yourself. I knew those things. And then after I left that position, I joined a company that helps people who've been laid off from their jobs actually make a career transition and provides career transition services. So when I joined that company, they trained me. That wasn't a formal certification, but they trained me in the process how to guide someone through a career transition and all the steps that are involved in that. So that was one piece of it. And then about six years ago, I pursued a certification in positive psychology. And then following that, I was certified in positive psychology coaching. And and I do now have, I now am certified by the International Coaching Federation. And that required um, taking more than a 100 hours of classes and testing and so on. That happened after I started coaching and was trained by the company that I was consulting to, but then I really wanted to go deeper and develop my skills further, so I sought out that additional education.
0: Wow, yeah, that's awesome. I did a lot of research into that institute. That sounds right up my alley, too. It's, what is it, a nine-month program, and it's primarily online, and you have two five-day retreats that were in, I think, Tahoe, Lake Tahoe, California.
1: Yes, well actually it started in Massachusetts at the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Education and then they have taken it out to different locations. Tahoe was one and um, they've taken it to Mexico, they've taken it to Australia, but the original was at uh, the Kripalu Center in Western Massachusetts. But that is the program.
0: So how has being a graduate of that program specifically helped you to come into a greater sense of purpose and fulfillment of that purpose?
1: So that program changed my life. Um, and I don't mean to be overly dramatic about it, but it's true. And I'll tell you why it changed my life. So the, the person who founded the program was on the faculty of Harvard College. He was a psychology professor And he did not want to pursue the tenured faculty track in a college. And not pursuing a tenured faculty, getting off the faculty track takes a lot of courage because when you start out that way, that's what most people continue to do. But when he was there, his name is Tal Ben-Shahar. He's um, Israeli. And when he was there, he, getting his Ph.D., he taught what was the most popular undergraduate class in the early 2000s, and it was in positive psychology. And after he taught that class, he decided that what he wanted to do was, um, and quoting him, create a bridge between the ivory tower and Main Street. So he wanted to take the knowledge that academicians have about psychology, and particularly about positive psychology, and take it out to people that are practitioners like myself, coaches, consultants, nurses, doctors, lawyers. And so he created this certification in positive psychology. I believe that it was the first certification program, and that was back six years ago. And he decided to do it at a yoga center because he really believed in the whole being approach, the integration of mind, body, and spirit. There was and continues to be a focus on the integration of the body in the process of learning. So that's why it was the on-site portion of the programs were held there. Anyway... What really changed me was the fact that this program is rooted in science. And I like to say about myself that I was the queen of self-help books, meaning that I probably supported the industry single-handedly at one point in time. And that's not to denigrate people who write self-help books. I think they can be very helpful. But what was different in this program is that All of the practices that we were taught were based upon research that psychologists were doing and publishing in journals. And the research was very practical. It was very applied. But the thing about people who publish journals, very, very few people read them. And the joke amongst academicians is that probably seven people read a journal article, and one person that reads journal article is the author's mother. (laughs) Yeah. So the idea that Tal Ben-Shahar had was to apply this research in a really practical way. And there was something that resonated with me about a Tanner, because... There was really something solid when you understood that people had spent years conducting research to see, just like scientists do in hard science, but social psychologists do very much the same thing, to see how and why people thrive. And so I put a lot of those practices into my own life. And as a result of doing that, I saw these changes that I didn't think was possible because when I entered this program, I was going through a very difficult time in my life. I was really depressed and I saw that I could make changes by putting some of these practices into effect. And so it had a very profound change in my life and um, with my clients now.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And so, in order to go to this this program to be a part of this, do you have to have any previous, you know, background? Is like uh, having a degree in psychology or pursuing a master's track or anything like that?
1: No, there are master's programs in positive psychology, and probably the best known program is at the University of Pennsylvania. But no, there were no prerequisites for attending this program, other than committing to reading the materials, keeping up with the materials, and uh, participating in the cohorts, the cohort that we were assigned through the nine or ten months of the program.
0: So you mentioned that it's a whole body approach. What do you mean by that? How does looking at the whole body help someone to come into greater alignment with their purpose and to thrive in their careers?
1: Well, I think we know that as humans, we have emotions, we're not only intellect, and we need to integrate those emotions, and we need to acknowledge them and live with them, whether they are positive or negative. So we use meditation. Uh, Meditation was part of this program so that we could really go deep into some of the thoughts that we had about whatever it was that we were working on at the time, so that we could take that pause and use meditation as a way to go deep into ourselves to see what would arise. And I think without doing that, it just would have been an intellectual exercise, but it wouldn't have been integrated into us individuals. So that was one thing that we did. Yoga was not a formal part of this program, but because the program um, during the residential portions of it was at a yoga facility. We were encouraged to, you know, participate in the yoga programs, you know, which were given um, three times a day. I have to say that I was skeptical about it. I was really skeptical about the whole body approach, but I, I was totally turned around because I was somebody that was always living in my head and not really connecting my head to my heart. Mm. If that makes sense to you. And so things like meditation and yoga, I really do think help connect the head to the heart in very deep ways and very important ways.
0: So how have some of these exercises that you learned um, in the certification course, how have they spilled over into your career practice? Do you run through meditation and yoga or similar exercises with your clients?
1: Well, it depends on the client. Some people are very open to it. So I have to start where the client is and go from there. But I'll give you an example. So one of the things that I do is I teach a workshop for people who have lost their jobs and are seeking to find new ones. And this workshop covers all of the aspects of making a career transition from, you know, the basic things that most people have to know about, you know, writing a resume and creating a profile on LinkedIn, and so on. But one of the things that I do in this course very early on is to ask people to acknowledge the emotions that they have about having lost their jobs. And I will say that most people who lose their jobs, it's not because their performance was poor. It's because there was some change in the business that necessitated the company or the organization that they were working for, to lay people off. But what happens when, when someone goes through something like that is there's a deep grieving process and there's often guilt that people feel. And so I start off by asking them to acknowledge and talk about the feelings that they had and I do deep breathing exercises with them. So I explain to them that they can tap their inner resources which is really deep breathing so that when they're feeling stressed, which is a very common occurrence when someone's lost their income and they have a family to support, but they can tap their internal resources to find a space of peace and calmness. And I do this with them. You know, some people have meditated, some people do yoga, some people have done none of the above. And so I just go through a very brief, practice with them. I give them some prompts about how to focus their attention and how to breathe. And, you know, and after that, we have a discussion about what the feelings are like, having the grieving feelings and the anger and the loss that comes along with looking for another job. And it's a very, very interesting experience because people really open up and they feel that it's okay to share the hurt or the anger or the guilt And it really brings the group closer together. And sometimes I have, when I work um, one-on-one with individuals, sometimes I have taught them some mindfulness practices. And sometimes people are already there and they do it on their own. So it really depends on where the person is.
0: Yeah, that sounds awesome. That's really cool how you've integrated these more esoteric, I guess, practices. um, Or just isolated, like you just meditate or you do yoga just to observe yourself or to feel better or whatever reason people come to it but you have a, a strong intentionality you you focus it on the grieving process of losing a career that's a very specific focus I, that's really cool so what's an example of like one prompt that you use to get people to go down that thought process and be so open and vulnerable about it especially in a shared environment like you know, sharing their emotions with you as well
1: I don't know that I always use a prompt, but I'll tell you this, and the prompt that comes to mind is I am enough. Because when people have lost a job, they don't feel that they're enough. No matter how good they've been, no matter their level of success, they feel that they have let their employer down, and more importantly, that they've let themselves down. And what I try to help them do is to realize that they are more than enough, that they were not their job. They are a person, and their job was only one aspect of their life that defines them. And so that's a prompt that comes to mind. When I meditate, and I have to admit to your listeners that I'm pretty lackadaisical about it, I'm not the best at keeping up my own practice, but I really do like guided meditation, and I like prompts because they really keep me focused. But I think for people that have suffered some kind of loss, And in this case, it's a lot of times loss of self-esteem. I think remembering that you are enough and you're more than enough is very important and valuable for people.
0: So essentially you work through that grieving process to where somebody can have in inner confidence and a positivity about you know their future. And then you design career options and set up informational interviews and then eventually real interviews. Is that the correct process?
1: Basically the process, I mean I use a number of tools to help people really look at and understand what their strengths are, not only what they're good at, but what's really energizing to them. What would make them get up in the morning, you know, and what are the things that they don't like to do? So I really start with them on coming to that clarity. I have them look back at their career, and in particular, I have them look at the things that they are particularly proud of. Because even when I work with people that have not lost a job, but they want to make a change, I want them to look back at those things that when they think over their career and they think about a a certain um, story or instance that really lights them up and makes them feel, wow, that was such a great experience. I'd like to do something like that again. So I start by having them go back and look at the positive things
0: Yeah.
1: and from that extract what did they love about it? What are they good about? What was important to them? So in other words, were their values? What values came into play? What skills were they using that they want to use again? And from that help them design what kind of their objective would be. Some people know it right off the bat, but some people don't. Once they kind of have that roadmap, it's like, okay, this is my destination. Then we do the tactical things like or resume or interviews and applications. But unless you know where you're headed and you feel committed to that direction, the the tactical stuff is really secondary.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that part's really hard. As so, I'm 26 right now, and I finally feel like I'm coming into that alignment with you know, my inner personality and some outer work, podcasting, and I'm about to start a master's of education program in San Francisco, and I'll be working at charter school for an underprivileged or low-income population there. And all of that seems like a much fuller alignment than I've ever seen. So what are some resources that people could, could use or some exercises people could do with themselves to even understand what is that direction that they would like to commit themselves to?
1: Well, just to go back to something that you said about yourself, Tanner, you know, I think when you're in your 20s, that is really the time for experimentation. And I think the saddest situations are when people commit to a path early in their 20s and they stick to it, whether it feels right to them or not. And so I think the kinds of things that you're doing, podcasting, going for a master's, working in a charter school and, and whatever you've done before this, it, all of those different things that you try inform your next step. You know, and I, I want to really want to say to your listeners who may be millennials, really, this is your time to experiment and try on different things. I'll tell you for myself, this is my fourth career. And most people that I work with, regardless of what their degrees were in, very few of them are working. Their work has nothing to do with the degrees that they have. My degrees are in music. Mm -hmm. So I have two degrees in music. I went from music into high technology sales and marketing. Then I did some business development related things because that came out of my sales background to coaching. But I will tell you that the thing that tied all of these things together for me was about relationships with people. So even though it sounds very disconnected, when you're selling, you're building relationships with people. When you're In business development that I did in higher education that's also about building relationships with people and so is coaching and so what I came to realize for myself is I love people I love their stories and um, I want to help people be their best their own version of their best selves so I think there are exercises we haven't talked about my book but I'll, I'll just segue for a moment. So when I wrote my book, Ditcher and a Critic at Work, my goal was to take the, a lot of the research in positive psychology and incorporate that into this book so that it really became a workbook. So there are chapters to read, obviously, but in each chapter, there are ex- exercises. And those exercises are really designed to help people develop greater self-awareness. And that's what I recommend for people who are trying to find their purpose. Really think about it in three ways. What's valuable to you? So that's number one. Prioritize your values. And if you don't know what they are, then there are a million places on the internet where you can get a a values assessment. So that's number one. Number two, what's interesting to you? Just make lists. You know, what do you like to do? It doesn't have to be things that you're making money doing, but it's what are things that really light you up that you find yourself psychologists call it in flow, where Mm -hmm. you lose track of time because you're so engaged in what you're doing, really pay attention to those things and make a list. And the third area is to know what your strengths are. So Those are things that you're good at, but things that also give you energy. In my book, I talk about a number of places where people can find out, they can do assessments to find out what their strengths are. There's a free one called Values in Action. People can get it on the internet. I think it's um, via.org. And it's a free strengths assessment that someone can take. You take it, you get a little report. And, you know, and then you identify what some of your strengths are. So when those three things are in alignment and someone uses that to guide their choices, they're much more likely to find work that makes them happy and satisfied.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. Really happy to be able to have a, a resource like that. So it's...
1: The website is called org, And right on the homepage, it says... Discover your best qualities in 15 minutes with our scientific survey of character strengths.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely put that in the notes along with your book title. So yeah, let's go to your book. So what inspired you to write the book? And when did you know it was the right time to, to put out a book?
1: So what inspired me to write the book number one was really suffering for many years in my own career, and really suffering from a lot of negative self-judgment. And that's why the book is called Ditch Your Inner Critic, because for myself, I found that I did not like what I was doing. But more than that, I blamed myself. I was like, well, it must be me. I must not be good enough. If I were different, if I looked at the situation differently, I could make it work. And what I realized is that there was so much self-blame and self-recrimination during those years. And I thought, you know what, there has to be a better way. So as I said, I eventually figured it out. What I realized in coaching individuals and most of the people that I coach are in their in the middle of their career so they've been working for a number of years but they too suffer from this inner voice that tells them you're really not good enough you're really just a fraud somebody's going to find out the truth about you and these things come out in different ways and I think that When you're working with somebody one-on-one, if they trust you, and of course my goal is to build trust with someone in a very confidential way, they tend to share things that they might not otherwise say to someone else. And so there's this recurring theme of how people beat themselves up and really are so harsh, unfairly harsh on themselves, that I came to realize that this is a fairly universal problem for many of us it was how we were raised it was how we were taught in school it was about we were taught that failure is not an option that success is the only way to go and so there were a lot of reasons and so it was those two things together that told me it was time to write the book and also through my own training in positive psychology One of the things that i learned is that if you set a goal that is a stretch goal, if you can achieve it, that you really will find a pride and satisfaction in reaching for something that seems a little bit out of reach. And I had never challenged myself like that before. And I said, well, I'm going to try it now. I'm going to see if I can do this. And it took me a year to write the book.
0: So your stretch goal was writing this book?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. That's awesome. And it took you a year and a half to write the book?
1: It took me a year to write the book because, first of all, I'm working. Secondly, I have a family. And third, it's research-based. And the fact that it, it is based in research, there was a lot of extra work to read journal articles and then document those journal articles, which is a real nuisance, to tell you the truth.
0: Yeah, it does seem like you do a lot of quoting and citing even in your mainstream articles with like Business News Daily was one of them I was looking at Um, and then on your website, you do quote a lot of thought leaders. I think that's really cool that your ideas are so backed by research and science. What is something that we're kind of missing that, that is very scientifically proven at this point but that the larger society kind of sees as hocus pocus?
1: I love that question. So I think the thing that most people are missing, and and I can speak to this in terms of of the states, and I think different cultures. I want to be careful because I think that different cultures and, um, and different countries experience these things differently. But in the U.S., there is a huge emphasis on personal success. So there's less it's less about working together to achieve some common goals. And it's a lot about external rewards. So when I think about US TV, watching television in the US, you know, people bragging and talking about the successes they've had, the um, the cars they can buy, the houses, the bigger houses they can afford. The promotions that they've gotten the new titles that they have the money that they're making and I think the culture in the United States really rewards that kind of success if you know what I mean but what the research shows is that that kind of success does not make people happy and so that's a very common falsehood that people fall prey to and they're like oh well you know, when I get the next promotion, I'll be happier. When I get an A in my class, I'll be happier. And what the science shows is that that may be true, but it's for a very short period of time. So if we get that promotion, that raise, we're going to feel good for a few days, but then we go right back to our base level. And what really makes people happy is when they can find their own purpose when that purpose it's internal, not external.
0: Yeah, I love that.
1: And that's really the difference.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So what role does money and outward successes have in this process? So I'm thinking about if you did experience a a big failure, you were in a career that was not aligned to your purpose, that was very isolating, driven by individual success. It took a lot of willpower to get up and do the work. There were some external rewards built in, but you failed. You essentially, if you were running your own business, maybe you went bankrupt. So what if you are down and out with purpose, but also with money, taking care of some degree of security financially with yourself?
1: It's really the yin, the yin and the yang. So what I say to clients, and many of my clients are in that situation, what I say to them is that you gotta keep the roof over your head first. You know, if you have to put food on the table and you have to take care of your family, then that's what you need to do. And don't feel badly about it. And for some people that means that they have to go out and find a job as fast as they can. That's the reality of this situation and there is nothing wrong with that. And I always tell people to look at the practical aspects, you know, make sure they know how much money they have. So don't quit a job, even if you're not happy. If you don't have money in the bank to support yourself for a period of time, then don't quit your job before you have another one because you don't know how long it's going to take you to find one. So you got to look at the practical aspects of it. But some people even if they have enough money, are afraid to let go of the money. And so they have to look at the practical aspects of it. I'll ask people, how long can you go without a job. When the United States, if people get laid off from their job, they um, they have insurance from the government for a certain period of time, unemployment insurance. It doesn't cover very much, but at least it's something. So I'll say to someone, well, how long can you make ends meet? And sometimes people will tell me it varies. It could be one month or it could be a year. So if it's a year, it's a very different approach that someone can take because then they have the luxury of really taking a step back and thinking about what they want to do. It all depends on the person. So if they have enough money, then their decision should not be driven by money. But if they don't have enough money, then money needs to be their priority. I mean, I hope I answered the question.
0: Yeah, so I guess I'm just wondering, how do you cultivate taking those steps forward in your personal path of purpose if money is almost the sole priority at that time of your of your life
1: so what you can do is to make a small amount of time to really work on yourself so that might mean like if you're working go to school at night or if you can't go to a degree program take a course I mean the beauty of the internet now is you don't even have to leave your house. You can take an online program, but in some way invest in yourself. Do something outside of work that really is interesting to you. So many of my clients tell me about outside interests that they have. And when I teach the workshops that I tell you about, I always ask people, tell us about something that we wouldn't know from reading your resume. And People have the most fascinating interests. I mean, the workshop I taught recently, someone um, did costume design in competitions. (laughs) I never knew there was such a thing, but she did these really elaborate costumes and entered competitions to do them. That was what she loved to do. And there are so many fascinating things. Somebody that I work with is a fencer. And, you know, so he has this whole community of people. He goes to fencing competitions and many of the leads that he's gotten for jobs have come from his interest in fencing. Other people row, they run, they bike, whatever music, whatever it is, but make time for something that really fills your spirit. Even if you have to be in the job to make money, then do something in your personal hours to really fill your bucket and lift your spirits. Cool. So
0: you talk about how failure is one of the ways in which people start to listen to their inner critic. Um, and that you need to go through this grieving process. I wanna know about your life specifically. How has a failure kind of pushed you into a greater sense of purpose um, so that you're able to bring people out of the other side and even some of the hurdles that come along with getting towards purpose? reach that final goal how has failure contributed to your ability to to be successful
1: well I talk about a failure that I experienced in my book that was a very very painful experience and um, I'll just tell you the short version of the story so when I was in technology sales I was a young sales manager about your age and I was responsible for, a, for selling technology into a multi-million dollar bank in New York City. And my customers at that time were twice my age. It was very intimidating. And I also was very new. I was very green. I didn't have a lot of experience. So there was a customer in this account, and she had been interviewed by the Boston Globe uh, which is a major the primary newspaper in Boston in Massachusetts and was interviewed about her experience working with the salespeople from my company and she was very negative negative. and the article was really talking about how salespeople were compensated differently in the company that I worked for versus other companies and so she was interviewed to get her opinion and she was very negative This article wound up on the first page of the business section on a Sunday morning. And I got a phone call from the vice president of sales for the United States that said, basically, what the hell is this article in the Boston Globe? Now, at the time, I was not living in Boston, so I didn't even know about it. And uh, lo and behold, I come to find out that it was my client who spoke very negatively about our salespeople. I, this was just a horrible experience. I was certain that I was going to lose my job. I was devastated and I didn't know what I was going to do. And what wound up happening, long story short, is that I took on this, uh, I was ashamed. So instead of realizing that this was a failure that I could recover from, I just wallowed in shame for weeks and months. And I think it was that experience and surviving that experience which made me realize that, number one, I had a right to feel badly. I had a right to feel disappointed in myself and what happened. But I did not have the right to tell myself that I was no longer a good person. And that's basically what happened. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Brene Brown. And one of her quotes, she does a lot of research on shame. And one of her quotes is making a mistake and calling it a mistake and calling yourself a bad person because of it. I don't have it exactly what she said but there's a difference between just seeing yourself as the worst person in the world as a result of making a mistake and then realizing that a mistake can be overcome and so that really helped me it took me a long long time to come to terms with that but it really helps me with my clients because where people often get stuck is knowing the difference between being a perfect and in seeking perfection versus excellence and between guilt and shame. You know, I just thought of what uh, the way Brene Brown frames it. She said the difference between shame and guilt is the difference between I did something bad and I am bad. Yes. What I have found with my clients is sometimes they think I am bad instead of, I made a mistake. So helping them understand that failure is a part of life, no matter what we do, we cannot avoid it. And the sooner that we understand that and realize that it's an opportunity to learn, the better off we're going to be.
0: Yes. Love that. Thank you. So I think that that kind of speaks to intentionality. If you made a mistake, it can be an honest mistake. As long as you have the intention of doing the objective of your job and Putting forth your best foot and exhibiting positive character traits it fell flat on its face and was a mistake. It makes sense that you don't need to internalize that into your ego as like, I'm a bad person that's unworthy.
1: Exactly.
0: So why do you think you struggled with that concept for so long? And why do you think people in general
1: struggle with that concept? So I struggled with that concept for so long because I really didn't have anybody in the business world to support me. And I think that's a really important thing for your listeners to understand. So when someone is in a sales job, and I over the years I've worked with a lot of salespeople, management is notorious for you're only as good as your last success, and that's basically how they look at you. Your job is to bring revenue into the company. And if you're doing that, you're great. If you're not doing that, you stink. It's, it's pretty much the way it is. So my management, what I didn't realize at the time, because I was very young, is, and my management was probably 20 years older than I was, is they were not really interested in mentoring me and developing me. They put me in the role actually before I was ready. And then they expected, they unre- had unrealistic expectations of what I could achieve. I think that if I had known what I teach people now is to surround themselves with people that can support them in whatever it is that they're trying to do. In other words, don't try to do it alone. I couldn't go to my management because they weren't interested in really helping me develop. But so if you have a manager like that, happens in the corporate world then you have to find other people in your life that can provide that role and I call that a personal board of directors or sometimes I call it a kitchen cabinet like just form your own kitchen cabinet form your own personal board of directors pick three or four or five people who you really trust who know you that can give you honest advice and don't try to figure it out all by yourself
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's certainly the case with me. Um, Anytime I've had a big setback, I come to my family, I come to my close friends, I come to some of the teachers in my life or mentors. I need people to ask me those hard questions that I'm not asking myself and, and digging deeper at an answer. If I give an answer, then you think, why is that the answer? And what's the reason behind that answer? And then you get more to the root cause. And Oh, this is something that I'm holding on to some anger here, or I don't feel good enough, or I don't feel worthy. And That's that inner critic, I guess, that you're probably getting at. That's cool. I'm understanding it.
1: (laughs) But it's great that you're doing that. It's great that you can be vulnerable enough. That's what Brene Brown talks about, is allowing ourselves to be vulnerable And it's good that you allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to say to someone, I'm not sure how to go about this, or what do you think, or is there a better way, or what would your advice be in this situation? Instead of people that feel like, oh my God, people will see my weaknesses if I actually ask them questions like that. So good for you for reaching out.
0: Yeah, vulnerability has been huge for me, and it's brought all kinds of new people and opportunities into my life. And particularly one way in which I feel like I've been especially vulnerable is informational interviews. I, read, I just read your recent article you posted about this. I think it was In Business News Daily. And you, you have this quote, you say, the goal of an information interview is to inspire others to help you. Mm. I really like that idea and I definitely find that that resonates with what I've experienced from informational interviews. So can you maybe take us through how you should approach looking at informational interviews and how you should express yourself during these so that you get people to be inspired to help you or lift you up to a greater sense of purpose?
1: What I would say is an informational interview is really about building a relationship with someone. I think, you know, we think about networking and we make it into this big deal and, you know, are we going to do it right or wrong or the other. And and there is a right and wrong way to do it. But I think the thing that's really important to understand is that people are people. And if you approach them authentically and you're respectful of them and their time, and you approach them for information, not for something like, Oh, do you have a job for me? Then people are much, are usually very willing to share their advice, their expertise, whatever it is. Uh, but, but it's a matter of really approaching them honestly and authentically and making it clear what it is. Um, that you're looking for. Because if they don't know, they don't know how, if you're not clear with what you're looking for, they don't know how to help you. So I think that's really the key to informational interviewing. Informational interviewing is to know what information are you looking for. And then also think about how you might be able to help that person in return right you can't always but sometimes just asking the question what is it that I can do for you that would be helpful
0: yeah I mean I had this amazing success recently where so I was living in Thailand I was teaching English here Um, it never felt like it was a permanent thing but it was definitely very good for me in terms of self-reflection and being in a kind of independent state with a lot of freedom and having all my ends meet easily but I started to think I want to come back to the U.S. and do something serious, and I was like, I think I want to go to law school, and I took the the law mm-hmm. school test mm-hmm. and and studied for it, um, and then I was starting to feel like ah, I'm not certain that this is what I want. Mm-hmm. This is a lot of debt coming yeah. in. There's, it doesn't sound like this whole positive psychology thing that is such a part of me since getting yoga teacher certified and doing meditation trainings and being a teacher. It's all about you know cultivating positivity and realization of others potential and your own and that i re- started to realize that's what i'm interested mm. in i was like who could i talk to that helps me figure this out exactly. and i eventually after just voicing that conflict that i was going through, i eventually got like i eventually got introduced to the 2014 kansas state teacher of the year who was a practicing attorney for 10 years mm-hmm. and then went into teaching and became like the best at it um and his profile picture is with him and obama right now because he got flown to the White House Very to cool. be congratulated for being the state teacher. And I get to have like two plus hour meetings with him, I think five times now, and just ask him any curiosity I have about how to navigate my life. And then also just information about engaging ways to teach others and ideas he has about the world. And it's really, really been awesome. And now I'm doing a podcast about this topic. And
1: Fantastic.
0: It's really cool to see how life flows organically when you really just put yourself out there yes. and and you don't ask for for specific things you just put out that intention that you're going to present your best self and present it honestly and authentically and information and resources and all these things will be returned to you and it's what you do with them after that.
1: Mhm. Exactly.
0: So once you do have these skills down and you really have say that you that you are just nailing it you're getting interview after interview request that you send in you're getting maybe multiple job offers. Um, you had this quote that you say the most important thing to remember when walking into an interview is that it is completely two sided. You're interviewing us as, as much as we are interviewing you. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how do you find that culture fit to know that this, that this next job is going to bring me into a greater sense of purpose?
1: The best way to do that is through networking. You're not going to find that out on an interview most likely because interviewing is like dating. And people are not going to show their, uh, they're not going to wash their dirty laundry. They're not going to show their warts. People in an interview on both sides are on their best behavior. But if you network in to talk to people who have worked for a company, an organization, or currently work there, maybe they work there and they left there, then especially if they had worked there and left, those are the people that are likely to be the most candid about what the culture is really like, not what the website says.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you talk about how you don't ever need to feel like a job is like too above your your qualifications set or your pay grade or your skills that you have right now and that you should really shoot for those stretch goals and shoot for the top. So say I want to, in one year from now, I want to have your job. I want to be a best-selling author. I want to be um, influencing executives and people that are entering you know, inspiring career paths. And I want to be having lots of clients that have quality engagement with me. And I want to be making six figures. How do I begin to, to move into that and to breast myself in a way that gets me in the door with people, even though I don't have a, you know, a positive psychology certification, or I don't have a master's degree in these things. What what do you do to start moving towards
1: that? So the first thing is you have to be realistic. You can't expect that you can move into something unless you have the qualifications to do it, because in whatever you do, you want to succeed. And so if the job requires certain skills that you don't have, you won't succeed at doing that and so the best thing to do is to talk to people that are in the field in the areas that you aspire to and find out what their path was how did they get there what courses did they take Mm -hmm. what were their steps because that's the way you're going to find out
0: how necessary do you think these formal degrees and certifications are if you can build these skills in your daily life like for example, I feel like I'm building lots of skills by hosting a podcast on purpose where I'm asking people questions that really matter to me and I'm internalizing their answers and then I'm like consuming their resources Then I'm practicing them. Then I'm having people come to me and say like, I need help with this and this. Do You have a recommendation. How can I think about this? And at the same time, I'm teaching English in Thailand and I'm living, I lived with a host family in Morocco. It's all these ways of practicing like perception, like altering your perceptions and having different perspectives, and then I do internal work like, like I just did this 10-day Vipassana course. So how necessary is it to do these like, formalized things that are, that are definitely resume builders compared to doing these things that are deeply meaningful in my life but ne- aren't necessarily something I
1: can put um, on a resume? It depends. There are certain fields where you can be successful without formal training and certifications, and there are some where you can't. And it's really very black and white. You have to talk to people to find out. For example, I work with a lot of scientists. Okay, these are people that are working for companies helping to find cures or treatments for various diseases. These Most of the people in that kind of work have PhDs. And if they don't have a PhD, let alone a master's, It's impossible. You cannot progress beyond a very entry level in that case. I will say this, generally speaking, the better the training you have, the more training you have, the more confident you will be in whatever you're doing and so there are some people that can learn you know just by doing and some people that learn better by you know by going to school and learning that way but you really have to understand what the field expects and every field has a different set of expectations
0: that makes a lot of sense thank you for answering that absolutely Um, so i guess we need to start i want to start wrapping this up um I'm just curious, what are questions that you're exploring today that you don't really have the answers to? What are you researching? What are you curious to find answers to right now?
1: Well, what I'm curious to find answers to are some really problems that I see as very difficult living here in the States that really don't have anything to do with work per se. It really has much to do with our the status of our political system and So, personally, I'm trying to figure out how I can make a contribution in whatever way I can contribute to helping turn around government or government systems that seem to be um, failing us in so many different ways. So, I mean, that's, there are some things I'm thinking about professionally. But if you ask me what I really worry about or, you know, what I'm really thinking about, especially after, you know, some tragic events um, here in the States this week. And frankly, that has captured more of my energy and attention than pretty much anything else, to be honest.
0: Are you referring to the school shooting in Florida? Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. yes. Do
0: you have any ideas of how you're going to get involved? Are you going to run? Are you going to be a politician?
1: No, I'm not going to do that. What I want to do is I want to um, think about, I'm interested in voting rights and making sure that people can register to vote and get to the polls. Things basically are as basic as that Right. Um, and the elections that are coming up in November.
0: Yeah. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of talk about the free ebook. I saw that you, you, you included yes. that in your email. What is, what is yes. this offer you're giving people?
1: Okay, so let me just say a couple of things. So, my book, Ditch Your In a Critic at Work, is available on Amazon. So, it's, it's easy to find there searching on the name or, you know, on my name, Susan Peppercorn. But on my website, which is Positive Workplace Partners, I have uh, two free ebooks. One of them is to help people evaluate if they are in the right job. And it's a workbook that incorporates a lot of the exercises that are in my book, um, but I've extracted to put them in this uh, free ebook to help people evaluate if they're in the right job or if they need to start thinking about uh, making a transition. And then I have another free ebook, which is 25 Tips for Making a Successful Career Transition. So people are welcome to go on my website, again, Positive Workplace Partners, and they can download them from there. People can also connect with me on LinkedIn, um, on Twitter, or on Instagram. So I'd love to hear from your listeners any feedback that people have, any topics that are on their mind. They're more than welcome to connect with me.
0: Definitely. I will do my best to direct them to that. I'll put all these in the notes at the bottom for people to be doing. I'll put it up on my Facebook. Yeah, I really hope that people uh, engage themselves with this. I think these are very important questions that determine a lot of your life satisfaction and happiness throughout adulthood. And it's really cool that you're exploring these topics so deeply and so intentionally and using science. And you're sticking to the positives. You're not a complainer. You're not someone that's going to... Just say, yeah, that's okay for you to give up or to stay in this place in your life. You're actually pushing people to that next level. Um, And I'm sure people are really happy and and grateful for it. So thank you for the work you're doing.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, I think the world needs as much positive energy as we possibly can give it. So to the extent that I can contribute to that, that's what I really want to do. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Susan. Thanks, Tanner, and all the best to you. Yeah, you
0: too. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy enjoyed this episode or the podcast, Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, join our intentional group Purpose Seekers from the Facebook page. Join in longer form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sails and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming...